Hey everyone, it's Jason here. Just wanted to give a quick heads up that there are a little bit of background noise in this week's episode. Apologies for that. Hopefully it's not too distracting, but Alden and I have a very rich dialogue this week on all things Djokovic and the issues that happened with him at the Olympics, and they were plenty, as well as celebrating all of the medalists from this week year's olympic games so hope you enjoy hope the background noise isn't too distracting and promise to do better next week hey it's aldwin and i'm jason this is the ready play tennis podcast new balls please we put our shit together so that we can entertain you <laughs> oops come back to life dick Edward. <laughs> you know where i'm going with this right i think i feel like it's another ass comment but jason jason just called you on your bluff and you you came back and you called us an albatross i don't know what that is do you know what this is it's called entertainment in all caps time ready play Dun 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 dun. <laughs> dun. <laughs> that was my Olympic theme music. It, isn't that the theme from Chariots of Fire? Oh, that's right. It's not the Oli- <laughs> it's not the Olympic theme. Oh my god. I mean, it's it been used could... at the Olympics, hasn't it? Sure, we can um, legitimize your your music choice <laughs> by saying that. <laughs> My bad memory. Um, welcome to the Ready Play Tennis Podcast. Jason here. It's Aldwin. Patreon.com forward slash Ready Play Tennis <laughs> to support our show. And don't forget to give us a five-star review on one of those podcast platforms of yours where you find us. Yeah, thank you to all of our new Patreon members. Uh, don't forget, you have an opportunity to get some cool Ready Play Tennis podcast merch. Merch, merch. <laughs> Merchant of merch. Mm-hmm. Okay, the Olympics are in the book. S- <laughs> <laughs> the history book. And just just one. just one book, just one book, 2020 Tokyo Olympics in one pretty historic book mm-hmm. for tennis anyway. Yes, uh, because other sports are still going on, some of which are sports, some of which are not skateboarding. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so we had what we thought was the biggest story of the Olympics, which was the torchbearer having her flames snuffed out, which was Naomi Osaka Mm -hmm. in the third round. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then it became about somebody else who we're going to talk about uh, in a bit. (laughs) But in honor of our first doubles match of the season and holding up our own virtual Olympic gold medal Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from having won the super (laughs) tiebreak 10-7 today, uh, we wanted to talk about doubles first. You know, okay, I am just going to say that our match today is indicative of every single freaking doubles match that I watched at the Olympic Games this year. Whether it was women or men or mixed, when you make the deciding factor a super tiebreaker, <laughs> <laughs> 
Babe, it's honestly anyone's game. You could be like um, five millionth ranked Aldwin era from the Philippines, and you could be in a third set super tiger tiebreaker situation and come away with the win and advance to the possibility of winning a medal. Mm. I mean, I think that was the case in many of the matches across all of the draws. Mm-hmm. I mean, where should we start? Should we start with the men's doubles? I was going to say start with the men because I find that story the, the least... <laughs> the least compelling and the most obvious victory. Okay, I'm going to take that back. Zdravko. You obviously remember Zdravko. Yes. Uh, Zdravko, a friend of ours out of Chicago. Like, bitch, I'm from Chicago. Yes. Right? And he is the tournament director for the... GLTA tournament there. That's correct. So Zdravko is a proud Croatian, and I take back what I just said about the men's doubles <laughs> being <laughs> the least compelling story. Because if you're Croatian and if you're a patriot, you just came away with a gold and freaking silver medal. So congrats to Kate. <laughs> I'm already having heart palpitations trying to pronounce these names. Mektic and Pavic? You got Pavic right. I don't know if you got Mektic right. Let's <laughs> go with it. Let's go with it. Number one seeds beat Dodig and as we all know, Chilich. Yeah, yeah I think it's Dodig, but who, who knows? Um, <laughs> and, and the GLTA universe loves them some Mektic, <laughs> Mektic and Pavic <laughs> because they are fine. They're fine. I mean, I believe the GLTA message board was a flutter when these two Croatian teams made the final because one person said that it was the most it was the most handsome Olympic men's doubles final in the history book <laughs> <laughs> of of all the eyeballs that have ever been on a doubles final. Exactly. So yeah, the cuties came away. I mean, number one seeds. I didn't. I wanted, as you remember, Stra- Struf, shouldn't say Struf, Struf and uh, Zverev to do something, mm-hmm. right? Because we, ch- we chatted about how um, interesting some of the pairings were. So it's nice to, it would have been nice to have kind of like an unusual pairing get a medal. But at the end of the day, the number one seeds came away with it, and you can't be mad at that. No. And this unusual team from New Zealand won the bronze. I had never heard of either of these players, Marcus Daniel and Michael Venus. I've heard of Venus before. Um, Venus Williams? He... <laughs> Who continues to ignore our messages. Yeah. Come on, Venus. <laughs> Come on, girl. Um, I believe he's a double specialist. I've never heard of Daniel with two L's, but I mean, <laughs> now he's cemented himself in the tennis history book because he has a bronze medal <laughs> yeah congrats to those guys and you know they beat sangren and and austin krychek okay did we not ask this question on the last episode did someone slide into our dms and verify whether this krychek has any relation to richard not that i recall i don't so recall like that a... happening so what are the chances that there are two Krychecks that have become like elite players in their sport. I mean, that's, you know, the chances of that are pretty slim. Well, there's been another Medvedev before Daniil. Has there been? Yeah, Andre Medvedev. Oh, right. French Open final 1999. 
Look at you. Was that, I, see, you know what? The, <laughs> the, the tennis history book is just... <laughs> that's going to be the joke of the episode, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, bring that guy back who thought we should know as podcasters the top 100 players at any given moment. <laughs> who cares? We know the French Open finalists from 1999. Yeah. Fun facts just pop into our heads. Go F yourself, whoever you were. <laughs> what about the women's doubles so i did watch this final okay and um it was just cool to watch a team that knows what the f they're doing yes uh, i kind of yes. felt a little bit like you know you you and i find our groove at certain points but i f- i felt like a little bit like we were the Benchich Golovich of them. <laughs> like we lose a close first set and yeah. then, you know, things sort of fall apart in the second set. Did you think at all that Benchich was thinking to herself, I've got a gold, gold medal, so I'm just going to phone this in? <laughs> I mean, I hope not. That's a thread that we're going to talk about in the next doubles <laughs> aren't we <laughs> we are everything is just like leading up to that particular topic <laughs> yes but uh you know i think they played well in that first set they had chances they were just broken uh at five all to go down six mm-hmm. five and you know you lose the first set against uh, a tough team like that it's hard to claw back when they're so um, skilled. I mean, you talked about it last week. Uh, yes. We did a teaser about it. Krajikova's yes. deafness on the court and Zinyakova's, you know, great play there. It. What what I learned in watching that match is they just have a, um, an understanding of the geometry of the court yes. and where, um, where the opening is going to be. And I think that's what's so interesting about doubles and why it doesn't get. Um, enough attention i don't know but it's so fast and and the best players know uh and can predict um over time where their opponent is going and where the opening is going to be yeah i like what you said about the geometry of the court i mean these doubles players have the benefit of just being able to strike the ball anywhere that they want as long as it's you know obviously within the lines and Sinyakova, who has been watching our stories on a regular girl. Come on our show. Come on our show, girl. Um, she uses the jo- her both of them. Her and Krajikova use the geometry of the court super well, like very sharp cross-court angles. Um, when, when either one of them is uh, battling at the baseline, you can see the other at the net really trying to find a way to kind of close the net which is doubles 101 mm-hmm. and yeah again it's not a surprise to me that they came away with the gold medal so czech republic yeah go gold and depth the depth of shot that they have um against their opponents right. is so uh so solid to watch and you know it bringing it back to our own doubles play we there's obviously things that we can work on i feel like our net play (laughs) is where we needed uh, where we needed the most work i think today but our return game was not so bad that's so funny because i thought i played well at net today well uh, i i only remember you commenting on your swinging uh backhand backhand volleys that you missed a few of i i missed all of them (laughs) (laughs) i missed all of them but in terms of like you know 
I, the reason why I love doubles and I think I do better in doubles than singles is because my forward backward movement is not as good. But when you plonk me down at the net just to start off, like it's just easier for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't have I don't have to move up there. I'm already there. But yeah, agreed. Net play is like vital. Mm-hmm. Mixed doubles. <laughs> Wait, no, we 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 have to actually first the the other uh, medalist in women's doubles was the first ever ever tennis medal for Brazil. Yes, I know. I was gonna. I was just gonna say. Who are these women? Okay, I was gonna ask you. <laughs> I don't know who Stefani and Pagosi are. All I know about them is that they were reposted on IG like seven bazillion times, because I mean. When you look at who they beat, Vejnina, who is a former Olympic gold medal winner with her partner Makarova, um, and like multi-slam winner versus Kudermatova, who's one of the hot players of the year, like they just barely got got the bronze. It was 11-9 in the super tiebreak. I did not watch that match. I'm going to assume that if it went to 11-9, that obviously they saved match points. So, I mean, that's a big deal. Brazil is one of these up-and-coming tennis countries, right? Like, there's that cutie, Tiago, Sabothvield. Sabothvield, right? Um, Am I forgetting any other Brazilian players there? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Good for them. Oh, I was going to say obrigado, but that doesn't, that means thank you. I don't know how to say congratulations. Felicidades. Congrats. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when we do the Insta story, it'll just be congrats. <laughs> um, but it speaks to what you said earlier, which is the um, the super tiebreak is really anybody's moment to shine. And you can go up 5-2 and be lose it 10-8. And you can go up 8-1 and lose it as well. So... Yeah, I mean, just a quick little note here. Like, I'm looking at the path of Pigossi and Stefani to the bronze medal. They beat Bethy and JPEG in the quarters. 10-6 in the super tiebreak. There goes that darn super tiebreak again. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, it's not like they had a complete roll into the into the bronze medal match. They beat Pliskova and Vondrusova 13-11. That's what I'm talking about. These super tiebreaks are just... They're like heart attack situations. Mm-hmm. I would crumble because I am very weak mentally. <laughs> <laughs> so they won three in a row. They won three in a row. I'm just going to check out their first round situation here. Stefan, Stefani. That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It's just crazy. So, yeah. Congrats to them. On to the mixed doubles, which was perhaps the most competitive final. Yes. Uh, of the lot. It, you know, absent the women, the women's singles, I guess, was competitive final. But uh, the mixed doubles was a very entertaining match between the Russian Olympic Committee, is what they're called. <laughs> <laughs> because Russia has the doping scandal and all that stuff. So uh, they cannot hear their anthem on the podium. That sucks. Yeah. I thought that this was the most exciting draw. I actually look forward to the Olympic mixed doubles draw the most because, again, I love... I'm a true romantic at heart. And so, like, (laughs) when... I mean, I'm sure all of you have watched our story on IG. 
Rublev and Pavlyuchenkova, who are the gold medal winners, they celebrated many times in their matches a little too close. You know, like lots of really long, warm... Back rubs? Back rubs. (laughs) Like when they won the gold medal, I think Rublev was on the court like on his back and then Pavlyuchenko was on top was on top of it I mean you know let your mind drift where it will I mean when you win a gold medal obviously you're going to be um forever connected in that way and uh I just thought that they had a beautiful little burgeoning love story and I want that love couple to happen so bad they're very cute yeah they're super cute it was very cute I don't know if there was any um sexual intercourse that happened in the locker room. (laughs) Well, it definitely didn't happen on those Olympic cardboard beds. (laughs) No. No, No, definitely not. Would it happen on the floor? (laughs) Okay. Can I just just paint a picture for everyone? Mm -hmm. So going back to our theme of the super tiebreaker being like just a heart attack situation, I don't think that any team faced as many heart attacks as Rublev and Pavlyuchenkova. Now, because it's a mixed doubles draw, there's only four rounds. So when you look at it from kind of like um, a prestige point of view, to win a doubles slam, you've got to win six rounds, I believe. Five or six rounds, something like that. I think it's five, yeah. It's five. Okay, fine. To win an Olympic medal, to win an Olympic gold, you got to win four rounds. Now, that might sound easier technically it is easier because there's like one less match but let me just tell you their path okay in the first round rublev and pavlyuchenkova beat the beat dodig 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 (laughs) jurak 11-9 in the super tiebreaker (laughs) i watched the highlights of that match pavlyuchenkova was the rock rublev was a hot mess (laughs) like and you know i I don't want to sound sexist or anything, but maybe this will come off as sexist. But, like, you expect the man to kind of hold his serve, to finish the points. But it was Pav that was doing all of that, mm-hmm. okay? Let's move on to the quarterfinals. Again, they go into a super tiebreaker situation. They beat the Japanese team, McLaughlin and Shibahara, 10-8. Like, not even, like, 10-1. <laughs> it's 10 motherfucking 8, okay? Semifinals... Again, like, you would think that they would make things easier for themselves. They beat a, you know, commendable team, Piers and Barty, who we're going to talk about in a minute, 13-11. <laughs> oh, my God. And then the final was another super tiebreak where they saved a match point. 13-11. Like, and, you know, we, we joke about it all the time. Tennis is about a point here and there. Really, for them, for that gold medal, it was definitely <laughs> a point here and there. Yeah. And just so everybody knows, we've done this podcast like 60 some odd times originally that was one of the show name ideas a point here or there yeah it's trademarked right here right now (laughs) just in case we decide to change the name (laughs) i i don't know i like ready i do too uh and (laughs) i think everybody else does i agree with you about pav though because when i watched that final Mm. and she was returning karatsev's serve and they were having you know forehand rallies she was holding her own she yes don't f with pav (laughs) don't f with her and i am just so happy for her because she you know again an underachiever she's such a talented player i'm she made the french open final Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, you thought at that time that she was going to win her first slam. But for her to come away with a gold medal this year, probably toward the end of her career, is a nice thing. There's something about Russian players competing at the Olympics. Remember, Dementieva did fucking jack shit until she won the gold medal. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, that was her claim to fame. But here here Nastia is, again, a Russian player, um, an underachiever, and now she's got a gold. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, how cool is it for this new pairing of Vesnina and Karatsev? And can, can can Karatsev show, maybe he just needs to see one of the GLTA <laughs> players or one of us to, like, get some emotion and feel some love? <laughs> like, maybe if he, like, looks deep into our eyes and we get to, like, pet his calves a little bit, maybe he'll <laughs> he'll show a bit more emotion. But when you see him on the podium with his silver medal, it's like, yeah. I did that. Was that? <laughs> I I thought that was a Russian yes, like yeah, y- y- yeah. <laughs> I go f- I go for toilet. <laughs> yeah, come on, come on, Aslan. You can sh- come on, come on, emotion. You can show a little bit. I know. Look at how amazing your year has been. Yeah, I mean, you had a bit of a dip, but now you have a freaking silver medal. It's a it's awesome. Speaking of dips. <laughs> Someone did fucking dip Someone out of the Olympics. Dipped <laughs> real quick out of the Olympics after their singles loss. So uh, I guess the segue here is the mixed doubles bronze medal uh, winner was decided without a match. Yeah, because um, one of the. <laughs> One of the players ducked out. Guess which player? <laughs> Def- it definitely wasn't Stojanovic. <laughs> <laughs> it was Novak Djokovic. So we're kind of glossing over Barty and her partners. I don't know his name. Pierre. Pierre. Piers. Piers is bronze medal mm-hmm. uh, to get into the Djokovic stuff. So um, the one, the only Novak Djokovic. <laughs> was the other story. So we started this episode about 20 minutes ago talking about Naomi's exit being the biggest story. And then the story, uh, the other story was obviously Djokovic's um, quest for the Golden Slam. Mm -hmm. That didn't work out so well. Uh, He um, obviously withdrew from the mixed doubles after... Mm -hmm. Um, recording his second consecutive loss in the single straw. Um, I think one of the things that uh, we have to talk about, which you mm-hmm. ta- uh, mentioned in the last last week's episode or the week week before, is that um, Djokovic is most vulnerable in the best two of three format. Yes. And that was a borrowed storyline from Stefan, Mm -hmm. who is a huge Djokovic fan and likes to remind everyone about um, bringing equal energy to criticism for the other big three players. Yes. Meaning Federer and Nadal. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think what's most interesting about, or one of the interesting things about this whole uh, storyline, other than like, the ATP finals where it's sort of a round robin format or, you know, the ATP cup where you sort of play a singles match 
every day against a different country in your round robin. Mm -hmm. This is probably the only tournament where he would have the chance of losing twice in a best two of three (laughs) in a row in the same event. Yeah. I, listen, if you had asked me whether Djokovic was going to, what's the analogy with the, with the toilet? There's okay. There's an analogy that I'm trying to reach for. It's not coming to me. Basically, what I want to say is, if you had asked me whether Joko was going to flush his opportunity, well, there you go. There's a bit of a toilet <laughs> analogy. Flush his opportunity Wipe, at flush. Wi- <laughs> there's only a Wipe, couple. Flush. Get off the shitter. Yeah. I, I think that's the analogy, right? Um, w- wash. Sorry. Flush his opportunity at winning a Golden Slam. I'd be like, there's no way. And it looked exactly that. When he was up 6-1 and a break in the second set against Vera. I actually remember reading multiple posts on IG and on Facebook of tennis fans watching that Zverev-Djokovic match. Obviously because of the time difference, you know, it's like super late at night, early in the morning situation here. And they went to bed being like, okay, because this was, Zverev was going to be Djokovic's main rival and um, obstacle to winning the gold medal. Mm-hmm. And so they went to bed being like, okay, it's done, it's over. And bitch, everyone woke up the next morning and they were shocked, including myself and probably you you as well. Yeah. I mean, let's not forget, I mean, they, they went to bed with good reason because he had just beaten Nishikori 2 in love. Uh, right, exactly. The hometown boy, right? So, <laughs> hi Bruno, happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> He's trying, to, my, my li- he's trying to get involved in the show. <laughs> yes. It's my little boo's birthday today. Uh, so when that something like that happens and somebody rattles off eight games in a row uh, <laughs> to take the second set and sort of dive into the third, um, it's hard to turn that train around. And especially with someone like Zverev, who I think we, we've talked about this the last few weeks the last few episodes he is a guy who consistently like and probably in a good way for him is under the radar and yes he is i think benefiting from people not really taking him seriously or considering him and he sort of quietly goes through the draw and you know he hasn't made it deep um in a slam since the u.s open Mm-hmm. But uh, wins Madrid, wins in Acapulco, yes. and now gold medalist. Yeah, I mean, just to continue the conversation of what you said, like think about what his life was like last year. You know, Insta stories from fellow tennis players during the height of the COVID pandemic, clubbing. I forget, was it in Croatia that he was clubbing? Yeah, I can't remember, remember but yeah. It was... It was the Adria tour. He didn't quarantine. No quarantining. Yelena Yankovic just twerking up on that stage. Then he was, then he got flack for that. Then he was um, uh, recorded like on the French um, Côte d'Azur, like at some beach restaurant and like also not social distancing. He was in the media for that. He got flack for that. Then it was the baby daddy situation and now that he's kind of cleaned up his act because, you know, we have our eyes on Zverev and we have our eyes on all the ATP players and what kind of shenanigans that they 
get themselves into. And he's been really, I believe, focused on his tennis and look what it's brought him. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, we should. I know we've dived into the Djokovic thing a bit, but maybe we should talk about these other guys for a second and then we can come back because I watched that final and Mm. the guy like Uh, Hachinov did not play poorly. Yes. Zverev just like played unbelievable. His defense... Mm. His backhand, his forehand can occasionally spray, and that's where his errors are, but his backhand was amazing. His forehand was amazing. I don't know how many double faults he had, but I don't think there were very many. The right. guy, what his net play is amazing. Yeah. Um, you have to give him kudos. And again, we talked about this in the car um, coming back from tennis. This is sort of like his... Andy Murray moment. Yeah, I, I first of all, I definitely want you to explain to our listeners what that means. But before you get into that, um, he played a perfect match. I, I mean, Karen is no pushover. Karen, okay, help uh, help Grandma. Quarter finalist at Wimbledon this year. Yes. Quarter finalist at Wimbledon this Wimbledon this Wimbledon this year is playing phenomenally, and he made. Karen look like a Karen. Karen exactly would make <laughs> thank you it made Karen look like the Karen that you would find at the Walmart complaining about her um, you know her broken toaster <laughs> he I, I mean I, I can't add any more positive uh, critique about Zvera's play to what you said because he did all of those things and he just looked he looked perfect. Mm-hmm. He really did. I'd never seen him play so smoothly. And he did all of the right things. He looked like a... I don't want to even say like he looked like a machine. But you know when you watch... Sometimes you watch these YouTube videos of like strategy... How to play certain strategic points in tennis. He was... No, this is the word. He was textbook. Like textbook. Mm-hmm. Every, every shot had an intention. And um, you could tell he was crazy focused so Zverev you know I'm glad that we're talking more about Zverev maybe than initially we thought because you know we want to get into the whole Djokovic drama Mm -hmm. but this guy deserves all the kudos for turning his game his life around so good on Sasha Mm -hmm. with this with a C by the way yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I always felt like when I would watch him play and people would hit to his backhand he always went cross court always 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 he Mm -hmm. does not do that anymore and I think that has added another layer to his game plus he's phenomenal at the net Um, and he's been able to clean up his serve everyone is always wondering is he gonna flounder on his yeah. serve you know part of it i think is that toss is so mother effing high mm-hmm. but uh yeah his performance was textbook i didn't think karen played terribly he just got mm-hmm. outplayed agreed yeah. agreed and you know, it's funny because there are so many parallels to the other German gold medalist in singles, Steffi Graf, who also had a motherfucking high toss. Um, and I think that's just so great for Germany. You know, like I actually haven't read. I'm sure there's there are many articles that kind of draw the parallels between Sasha and Steffi. But um, 
yeah, Germany now has another. No, okay, no. It was, sorry, I was going to say uh, Angelique Kerber, but she won silver she won at silver. the previous Olympics. But, you know, Germans do well at the Olympics for whatever reason. And here we are with another gold medalist. Mm-hmm. And the point that we made earlier was this could be his Andy Murray moment, which yes, thank the you. moment was in 2012, Andy Murray uh, I think lost in the final at Wimbledon mm-hmm. and you know he had that memorable moment where he cried on the court and talked about wanting to win Wimbledon and then three weeks later he comes to the Olympics at Wimbledon and wins the gold medal and then later in the summer wins his first Grand Slam at the US Open yeah absolutely hence our Instagram post today asking you all whether you think that this gold medal is Zverev's actual breakthrough. Is he going to have an Andy Murray moment, as you just mentioned? And funny enough, there's if you take a look at the stats that have come in, right, because when you post on Instagram, there's 24 hours before the story expires. I think it's like two out of every three people believe that Zverev could be a slam winner, but there's still 33% of you all that don't think that he's got the goods. So I don't know what more this guy can do to show you that he can win a slam. What, you think team is going to come back to the U.S. Open and defend his title? That guy's a basket case <laughs> right now. <laughs> he's got a He's got his wrist all wrapped up and he's hanging out at Red Bull events. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Saving the oceans. Yeah. So uh, before we get back to Djokovic, I know we've, we're sort of dancing around, but roll with us for a second here. We have mm. to talk about PCB. Okay. okay. So PCB, <laughs> a couple weeks ago, we talked about how he like destroyed Krajanovic, made him mm-hmm. cry after <laughs> uh, in the trophy ceremony. Uh, you know, he's been in four finals, lost them all. This was mm-hmm. his first 500. He's like a super solid player. I know a lot of the top players love hitting with him because he's like a backboard. Yeah. And obviously uh, gave Djokovic some trubs because he almost won that match in straight sets. Yeah. I mean, surprising, not surprising. He took your, I would say that he, they took out your favorite. Medvedev Mm -hmm. in the quarters so you know everyone was talking about the potential Djokovic Medvedev um, gold medal final showdown but PCB came to spoil the party Mm -hmm. and um, I yeah I mean he his style of game is just so indicative of what I think Spanish players are and have always been grinders they don't Uh, give you any free points and so if you're even slightly off your game those guys will be like you want you want to be out here on the 40 degree center court in the middle of tokyo in july bitch i can be out here for seven hours (laughs) so you, you know he he obviously can cause people to go crazy and that he just did in that bronze medal match. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he did. He caused him to go crazy for sure. I think p- probably if people don't pay too much attention to tennis and sort of these these Spanish guys, they could mix up PCB with RBA because their games are so very exactly. similar. Yes, exactly. Um, they're not 
always the most exciting to watch, mm-hmm. but yeah. RBA gets every mother effing ball back, and PCB mm-hmm. is starting to be the guy to do the same, and took out Djokovic. Uh-huh. Back to Djokovic. <laughs> so there's a few layers to this whole Djokovic story that uh, devolved over the past few days. So so many layers, yeah. like an onion. You ready to peel them back? <laughs> I'm ready to peel them back. <laughs> so obviously, out of the uh, gold medal match, PCB took away his bronze medal hopes mm-hmm. and uh, he was going to be on his way to the mixed doubles, but he uh, doth withdraw from that. Yeah. Rewind uh, a couple of days to when he had, I think just completed his uh, third round match, uh, which would have been the pre um, trouncing of Nishikori. Mm-hmm. Um, And this whole drama came to be about uh, some comments he made where he was asked a question in connection, I think, to the issue with Simone Biles. uh, For those of you who don't know, she's a world-class, probably the best in the world, um, Olympic gymnast, four gold medals in Rio. Um, Mm -hmm. But she, you know, very publicly talked about um, the need to withdraw uh, from the event, she had done um, a vault, I think, in the individual competition and was getting, um, I guess they're called the twisties, where you lose your your balance and you're disoriented in the air, which can be very dangerous. Um, mm-hmm. But she also, I think, talked about um, some mental health stuff. So uh, in his um, post-match interview, uh, he was asked a question about um, this in the context of what he sort of was working towards at the time, which was um, his pursuit of the Golden Slam, which included the uh, gold medal, obviously, at the Olympics. And I think what has come out of all of this is um, what what I think anyway, is that it seemed to have been taken a little bit out of context what he said um Mm -hmm. and i think it's highlighted pretty well in this article which i think is worth a bit of a read for our audience i do believe you know there's probably a mix of people who love djokovic there's obviously a uh, a group who um hate djokovic Uh, i think (laughs) you and i would say we're fairly indifferent Mm-hmm. Although yeah. we have started to um, maybe more um, come to his defense in these sort mm-hmm. of instances because it seems like we should appreciate his talents and skills a bit more and mm-hmm. maybe give him a break on some of the other stuff. But anyway, um, let me read this article. How an innocent Novak Djokovic comment (laughs) was twisted by the media to suggest he attacked Simone Biles over her mental (laughs) health struggles. That is a very lengthy headline, but Mm -hmm. I guess it gives you all you need to know. Uh, It's from a site called Sports Kita. Uh, In Novak Novak Djokovic's own words, pressure is a privilege. Pressure is a privilege for all of you is um, something that Billie Jean King has said and is emblazoned on Arthur Ashe Stadium as the players come out on the court. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But what has transpired over the past 72 hours uh, is not a privilege of any kind. Instead, it can only be termed as unfair and unjustified result of being a successful and famous athlete. The 20-time major winner saw his dreams of winning an Olympic gold come to an end on Friday as he lost the semifinals of both men's singles and mixed doubles. Uh, Djokovic would leave without a medal. Blah, blah, blah. He lost to PCB, um, and then he withdrew from the doubles. What followed, however, could only have come from the imagination of a sadist. Oh, my. Djokovic has received <laughs> nonstop criticism, trolling, and abuse from all corners of organized media as well as social media over the last couple of days and for something he didn't even do. Uh, the vitriol being spewed, blah, blah, blah. So talks about the vitriol. Um, Djokovic fault in all this, an innocuous quote that has been misinterpreted, misquoted, and misused mm. by members of the media. Mm. So then uh, the article gets into it. After his third round match, Djokovic was simply asked a question about pressure of dealing with the ambition of a calendar Grand Slam, uh, which the Serb was then going for. Djokovic answered that by referring to no one but himself and framed it around the question that was asked on the topic of the Golden Slam. Uh, But this was interpreted or intentionally misquoted to stir controversy as... Djokovic's take on Simone Biles' withdrawal and reported Mm. by a string of publications as such. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the quote was, without pressure, there is no professional sport. If you are aiming to be at the top of the game, you better start learning how to deal with pressure. Ah. Ah. So that got negatively attached to Simone Biles' withdrawal from the all-around part of the competition. Yeah, it got attached to him... Uh, inferring a little bit about that whole uh, situation. Mm-hmm. As they say, min- misinformation spreads at twice the speed of factual information and draws mm-hmm. twice the attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Djokovic once again ended up on the receiving end of the damage caused by malicious <clears throat> gossip. Um, four-time medalist and American legend Simone Biles withdrew um citing you know mental health struggles and dealing with the um, dealing with the pressures that come with being successful in the social media age where everything has to be brutally scrutinized biles act was also discussed debated and opined upon for several days Mm -hmm. we all sort of saw that happening Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, the left-leaning media and mental health activists came to the 24-year-old's um, year old's defense and fought for her right to put mental health above sporting glory um, but this also started attaching any remotely relevant quote mm. from any prominent personality to the Biles issue mm-hmm. i.e. Mm-hmm. Djokovic the number one player in the world who has won all three majors this year who was also asked about the pressure an athlete faces in light of Biles withdrawal uh, he replied his reply was simple as he spoke about how he looks at competitive sport and how he has always dealt with the pressure when, uh, which comes with it. Uh, without pressure, there is no professional sport. If you are aiming to be on the top of your game, you better start learning how to deal with pressure and how mm-hmm. to cope with those moments on the court, but also off the court, all the expectations. So that was the quote that got um, connected. And then people started to... Um, pile on Mm -hmm. the idealists on social media in the news studios also weren't happy with Novak showing negative emotion 
i.e. throwing his racket into the empty stands and smashing his racket on the net during the PCB match. The anti-Djokovic army took particular offense at his statement from the tennis legend. They were apparently perplexed at how someone who considers privilege as or pressure as privilege could react in the way Djokovic did, unable mm-hmm. to control his emotions when under pressure of losing out on a medal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all of that is really interesting, and the story goes on and on. The reporter who asked the question actually uh, came to Djokovic's defense in the situation, mm-hmm. saying, waking up to the comments about the hashtag context on Djokovic's reply to my question in the mixed zone last night about his mixed doubles match, while Biles was mentioned in the question, the concluding part was about a similar kind of pressure for him or mm-hmm. on him. Mm-hmm. So. So, yeah, see, there's that's an interesting nugget that I wanted to have clarification on because I thought that the question was completely unrelated. But based on what you just said, there was mention of Simone Biles in the question. Now, you know, in your reading of his answer, it was clear to me that he was talking about his personal experience because he was talking about dealing with pressure on and off the court. I mean, gymnasts, last time I checked, gymnasts don't perform on a court. They perform on a balance beam and other such apparatus, apparatuses? Apparati. (laughs) Apparati. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, honestly, Going back to what you said about us earlier, I guess we would consider ourselves part of the media. You know, we are an opinion podcast. We do have to be careful about discerning information and not be so quick um, on the trigger to share information that, you know, may not be, um, may or may not be true. I just think, you know, in this complex situation, that it was an easy excuse to... I, th- I see two things here. The issue of mental health has obviously come to the forefront with athletes like Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka putting um, their mental health first. Uh, and so any, any, anyone or anyone that wants to jump on the bandwagon of supporting mental health, which is obviously an important cause, an important thing to protect, are going to take any kind of... Um, comment from any athlete sports star um, that you know maybe berates that or maybe makes that negative and they're going to amplify it which is unfortunate because you know there are billions of twitter trolls out there that are waiting to just perpetuate that and make that the truth and that's unfortunate that's number one number two um, it goes without saying And it's funny because I don't know whether you saw this, Jay, but on the GLTA message board, the admin, whoever the admin is, did you see that? No. They posted right before we um, recorded our podcast a reminder about behavior and about instigating posts that are meant to elicit negative reactions, negative comments, negative threads. And obviously within the past few days with what Djokovic has done in terms of withdrawing from the bronze medal match, and all the ire that that's drawn, he has been dragged through the mud with, uh, I mean, funny, (laughs) (laughs) funny, but also kind of like mean spirited memes and posts. 
And it goes without saying, there is a huge community. I mean, community is small scale, but you know, there are, I would say like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people that just hate the guy. And so any excuse to kind of attach a negative, um, anything negative to him, they're going to take the opportunity. You know, I always have to kind of ask myself, I mean, I don't, I'm starting, I'm, I never was attached to Djokovic from the beginning of his career. You know, you and I have talked about this at length. There are obviously people that have, are so attached to Rafa and Federer that they can't envisage Djokovic to be the GOAT. So I don't really have anything at stake in either defending him. I, you know, his actions are criticized for what they are. And we've dragged him through the mud, right, mm-hmm. before because of his Adrius tour shenanigans and all of that stuff. But now that he has not, in my mind, partaken in any of that, in any of that, I don't know why there's this continual agenda to fucking hate this guy. <laughs> I, I don't. And it's really unfortunate. Yeah. Like, I I don't know, man. It, it Actually, that kind of treatment makes him likable to me. And, you know, if you want to draw a deeper parallel, no wonder why Trump gets elected into office so many times because of what the media does. You know, the media think that they're doing themselves a service, especially if they are political if they lean politically one way or the other, but it in fact just creates such a fan base for that person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have to say, I, based on his actions, I don't see anything wrong. I'm going to get, give you a chance to jump in for a second. I mean, initially when he withdrew from the bronze medal match, I felt really bad for Stojanovic, you know, how could you not? This was her opportunity to do something great in her sport. Djokovic, you know, throws in there that he's been dealing with multiple injuries, you know. And again, I had to ask myself, if if you were dealing with multiple injuries, is that something that you would necessarily share in a press conference, you know, to let your competitors know that you're not at your 100%? Probably not. But, I mean, that was the only, like, semi-shady thing that I thought that he did. And honestly, his on-court antics and behavior, I mean, I just, I spoke about this with you on our card ride home from the doubles match. John McEnroe did way worse and was, you know, and he's a beloved figure in the tennis history book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't, I don't, I really don't know what to say about the court of public opinion on Joko, um, except that I think it right now is very unfair. And... Um, you weird media people that are just making this into something that it's not need to fucking go back to school and check your facts. Biatch. Check your facts, yo. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the withdrawal from the mixed obviously added more ire to people. Um, you know, perhaps the throwing of the racket was one thing. The launching mm-hmm. of the racket into the empty stands was sort of, another instance which you know nobody should do if Mm -hmm. there were fans i would hope that he wouldn't have done it (laughs) but there were there were no fans so um he did that uh i think you know one of the questions that we should ask you know we're talking about mental health you gotta believe 
you know, in when it comes to the Naomi stuff and the people coming for her mm-hmm. after, you know, withdrawing and then being in the media forever, of course she reads those things. Mm-hmm. And maybe she shouldn't because, you know, if you're dealing with mental health stuff, you definitely should try and stay off social media because it's the worst. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. you know, what about Djokovic's mental health? Like, if everybody's yeah. coming for him and everyone thinks he said something that they've taken out of context, um, you know, it seems 99% clear to me that this was taken out of context. Then, mm-hmm. you know, nobody cares about his mental health even though he's you know a wealthy tennis player similar to Naomi Osaka I'm not sure there's necessarily a difference there yeah I'm I agree with you for sure I mean you know he hasn't I don't think that he's mentioned um part of his withdrawal I mean, I have a couple of quotes here. None of them really mention his mental... Actually, no, they do. He just, he says, right after losing his bronze medal match to PCB, he says, quote, I just didn't deliver yesterday and today. The level of tennis dropped, also due to exhaustion, mentally and physically. Djokovic said, I gave it all, my all, whatever I had left in the tank, which was not so much. So, I mean, he didn't explicitly say that, you know, he was suffering from some mental health issues, but... You know, you got to imagine that a guy that's going after the Golden Slam has so much pressure on himself that, you know, he just kind of reached a wall. So, yeah, I think that we should treat him and Naomi and Simone in the same in the same way. Mm -hmm. And even maybe if he doesn't explicitly say that he needs a mental health break, I think that what the media is doing in terms of trying to continue this narrative of vilifying him is like, why? Yeah. Why? For what reason? I just think, I just think that that's not right. That's not right. I found another piece from PolitiFact. I won't read the whole story, but it gives you sort of a, a bit of a Coles notes at the beginning. It says, um, no, Novak Djokovic did not refer to Simone Biles when he said pressure is a privilege. Uh, mm-hmm. And then there's a section, if your time is short, a reporter referenced Biles in a question, but Djokovic's response did not directly deal with Biles. The reporter later clarified that Djokovic was referring to himself in his answer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, <clears throat> the other dimension to this um, to this topic is... Now that there are so many middlemen tweeting, posting, what have you, you know, whether Simone Biles cares or not, I mean, that's another elite athlete that maybe believes that this other elite athlete in a different discipline has spoken ill about her. You know, that just doesn't... The Olympics is not about that. Mm -hmm. The Olympics is about, you know, um, you know, brotherhood, fraternity, um you know, getting together in the spirit of sport and peace. And this just puts a stain, I think, on on what the Olympics should really be about. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'll give you a big, big hug, Djokovic, <laughs> Novak. You need it. You need a big hug. And maybe I a, will give it to you. And maybe a little reach around. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> a little reach around. What, sorry. One last thing. I am still so shocked that there are people that hate him that much. What what is it? Okay, can 
you know what? Maybe we should invite a person that hates Djokovic on the show. Ooh, good idea. Maybe maybe we should have a show about like you know we'll turn this into some kind of like Oprah therapy session. Like, tell us why you hate him so much. <laughs> you know, we asked some of our friends that we play tennis with what what it is about him, and the answers seem so lackluster. Like, I don't like his attitude. You know, he is egotistical. Okay, fine. Maybe he has um, traits of that from time to time, but. To hate someone that much for those kind of nonsensical reasons when, you know, the big three have all displayed elements of, um, you know, just rude behavior from time to time. It just is so ill. So ewed by it. (laughs) I'm so ewed by it. I am. I am. (laughs) What do you think now are his chances heading into the U.S. Open as he vies still for the calendar slam? That's a good question. I really don't know. I really don't know. I mean, I would be curious to see what he is going to say in the next two to three weeks as he hits the U.S. Hardcourt Series. I mean, I'm not sure if what his schedule is and what tournaments he's promised to play, but um, I would be curious to see what he has to say there and what his results are because that's going to be pretty indicative of how he's going to do at the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. I mean... it's yeah I I just I'm at a kind of at a loss for words in terms of like you know we I just thought this this was such a it was such a shoe in for him to win the golden slam and now because of all of this that it's likely likely that perhaps he won't come away with it yeah 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 I mean he's going in with the memory of having two straight losses in a row uh-huh. We know that he withdrew from Toronto. Uh, he mm-hmm. withdrew from Toronto last week. So this was, okay. I think, before his losses at the Olympics. I suspect mm-hmm. if he's going to play any warm-up, he'll play Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he'll play the U.S. Open. Obviously, he's the defending champion at Cincinnati um, and has the memory of that match with PCB at the US Open. So we'll see how he's able to recover from all the attention and all the attention that he probably didn't want after his losses and then his withdrawal. And think about this for a second. For him to complete the calendar Grand Slam in New York City, where I believe that there is a huge community of anti-Novak Djokovic haters, they're not going to make his life easy. You know what I mean? I mean, he would have been better off to finish at the French Open like last year. You know what I mean? But he's going to the U.S. Open, New York City. New Yorkers are already a tough crowd. um, But, I mean, if there's anyone to really thrive in situations where he is not the favorite, it's Novak. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think Stefan Stefan would agree you know, maybe he, there is a part of him that's like, okay, bring on the haters. I'll show you what I can do, yeah. which would be kind of cool. For those of you who count his slams, the U.S. Open is the second least winning slam for him. He's only won mm-hmm. it three times. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's won Wimbledon six and Australia nine. <laughs> so it is perhaps the, the toughest part. I mean, he it's well, the second toughest part next to winning the French Open, which he's already done. So mm-hmm. it'll be the toughest 
um, obviously yet in light of everything that's happened and, and now being the final piece of his mm-hmm. calendar slam puzzle. Yeah. We haven't talked about the women yet. And we're we like, sh- honest, we, we should have talked about the women first. That's oh, okay. Wah, wah. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> what I think with the gold medalist, Belinda, Mm-hmm. What I found most Who? I'm kidding <laughs> It's one of those moments where um, Olympic tennis has gone the last couple of years Monica, we talked about Monica Not Celis, mm-hmm. but Puig mm-hmm. Olympic mm-hmm. gold medalist in 2016 She could not compete because she was injured Yeah um, But obviously nobody was talking about Belinda and uh, she didn't. <laughs> she didn't necessarily have uh, the easiest path, but she made it all the way to the final and beat Von Drusova in three sets. Yeah, she tore through all of the French Open finalists and champions in her way to that gold medal. <laughs> you know, I actually I read a really um, I read a good review of what this gold medal means to Belinda Bencic on the WTA website. They were talking about Bencic being a three-year-old girl joining Melanie Molitor's tennis academy in Switzerland, being groomed to be the next Martina Hingis. You know, you can see in her game that she has a very Martina-esque style game and that she's a, um, she's a strategist and um, a tactician. And she won't overpower you with her shots, but she knows how to open up a court. And, you know, she was this incredible junior, ended up winning the Toronto tournament, being beating Serena in the semis at 18 years old, and just never kind of fulfilled her potential. And then obviously underwent wrist surgery in 2017. So when you take a look at that and now that she's won a gold medal, you almost are like, good for you, BB, Belinda. (laughs) (laughs) You got your gold medal. You can feel um, legitimized in a way. And um, hopefully this is just the beginning of more because she was on on the verge of a really good comeback. You know, she was getting deep into draws. And so I think this gold medal is a good, obviously it's going to be a great, it's a great thing for her. How old is Benchit? She's still young, isn't she? 20, 24? 24. 25? You're correct. You're correct 24. 24. Yeah. I remember the US Open semifinal against Bianca. Uh, yeah. She could have yeah. won that match. Yeah. It, yeah. Sh- that, that could have been, you know, Benchit's first US Open or Serena's 24th, but it ended up being Bianca's trophy. Serena would have thrashed her. <laughs> Undoubtedly, she would have thrashed her. No offense, Belinda, but there was no way. But you're right. Bencic had so many chances in that semifinal against Andreescu, but, you know, sour grapes for her that day. Um, I think the other big story to come out of the women's, anything that you wanted to add about Belinda? Sorry no. we made it short, girl, but, I mean, gold medal, good on you. Yeah, I'm, I'm just impressed with the draw, beating Pegala and Krajikova and Pav. Uh-huh. And who did she beat in the semis? Camila Georgie. Oh, did she beat Georgie? In the quarters, I think. Yeah, she... No, no, no. She beat Pavlyuchenkova in the quarters. In the semis, she beat Rybakina. Rybakina. And then yeah. Von Drusova. Hence, all of the French Open references there. All Re- of the French Rybakina Open. Rybakina made the semis, right? 
at the French Open Rebecca. this year? Yes, yeah. she made the semis. Um, Svitolina. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Monfisa. <laughs> Is she changing her name or not? I saw articles where she was in draws as um, Alina Monfils. Oh, really? Yeah, but maybe I don't. Maybe I that was mistaken. I don't know. Like I, whatever. I mean, you want to take Gael's last name? That's cool. I'm always about women empowerment, and like, you don't need to take his name, girl. Like, you are Svitolina, and that's who you should be. Even though we drag you through the mud and don't watch you, <laughs> but I mean, I think Svitolina should get a lot of kudos because you know her game is about all about grit and determination. This girl was on court for 13 hours, like. I think four of her matches last uh, went to a third set. And, um, you know, she was down. She got blitz in that first in that first set against Rebecca the bronze medal match. The second set, I think she was down 1-4. No, the third set, she was down 1-4. And in true Svitolina fashion, like, no balance, n- no good <laughs> form, no, n- no good technique. She just found her way to win that match and uh, I think she's such a deserved gold uh, gold medal bronze medal and I said you know now that she's got that big fucking ring on her finger she's got another piece of hardware to <laughs> to add to her collection mm-hmm. yeah it was a cool moment she was obviously very excited to uh, win a medal unlike Karatsev <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so congratulations to all of the medalists. Um, one of the honorable mention moments for me, after we recorded last week, I was editing the episode and I put um, beside me on my phone mm-hmm. the Fonini Medvedev match. Ah, yes, yes, yes. And I was text- texting <laughs> you during that match because yeah. they yeah, yeah, were yeah. like keeled over. And that, <laughs> that was the match that got a lot of attention. I think there was like a even a CNN story about, <laughs> you know, Medvedev's quote about, you know, I, I, I can, I'll finish the match, but I could die out here. And <laughs> what's going to happen if I, who's going to take responsibility? Who's responsible? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's entertaining. I like him. Yeah, it was thoroughly entertaining. You know, uh, Fonini foot faulted like 18 dozen times during that match. And then it, apparently there was controversy because he used a homophobic slur. Yes, that's right. In that's right. Italian. Yeah. Uh, I mean, do I care that he used a homophobic slur? Not really. To be honest, that does that make me a good homosexual? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he apologized for it. I've used many words. I mean, I think. No, okay, we forget it. We're not gonna get into that. We're not. We're <laughs> yeah. I don't care. It's the end of the care. show. We don't. It's the end of the show. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, let's, let's let's see your wrist, Fonini, and we'll slap you on the wrist. <laughs> there you go. Uh, anything else you want to cover? There. I mean, there's so much more we could talk about. I would just like to congratulate. Vashik Pospisil, uh, just before we started recording, he wrapped up his first round match at the Citibank Open in Was- ah. in Washington. I have played on no. played on those courts. Oh, nice! Oh, yeah, that's right. You did the you got to the final or the semis the, of that, that was tournament. one of my that was my breakthrough tournament. Uh, it was. I made 
the quarterfinals in singles and I lost out like a punk, but I made the semifinals in doubles and then I flew to Indianapolis where I made my first singles final. That's right. That's right. You have good memories there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good memes. So um, I, I do like that tournament, and but the draw is kind of weak, except Nadal snuck himself in as a wild card and is the number one seed. Gotcha. Um, I mean, the only things that I would add are like Casper Ruud continues to go to the bank in Denmark <laughs> and cash his checks because he won in Kitzbühel at the Generali Open. Um, I took a look at that draw. It doesn't surprise me that he won. <laughs> I mean, okay, no tea, no shade. Krajanovic was there. You know, there were a couple of other uh, names that were there. So, but he didn't, I think they were all kind of eliminated early in the draw. So he faced some some guy. I don't know who he was, but right. someone slides our DMs fine. Um, you asked me whether I cared whether Isner won his sixth Atlanta Open. And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> um Sorry, John. I just don't really care. He, But I do think the cool story to come out of that was the Japanese-American player Nakashima made back-to-back finals. So, you know, that's good for him. I'm curious to see what this guy's going to do on the U.S. hard court uh, season. What did you think of the pairing of Opelka and Sinner winning the doubles? Oh, I didn't know that they won. Yeah. You know what, Sinner to me, like, uh, Sinner is a new face on the tour, obviously, in terms of just like, you know, fresh faces, next gen, all of that stuff. So who he aligns with in terms of friendships and doubles partners make me question his choices <laughs> and who he is as a person. Not to say that I don't like Riley. I think Riley's actually really cool. But um, yeah, Yannick, like, okay, cool. You, do you like art? Do you like art as well? <laughs> Uh, the last thing maybe that's worth interest uh, worth talking about uh, is related to Casper and it's Nick Curios's comments about Casper. Oh yes, that's right. And uh, <laughs> I think he asked, you know, what's your favorite clay court tournament? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, ta- and tag Nick Kyrgios and Nick Kyrgios was like ha, ha, hey bro you're a good player but you're just you know snatching up all the points on the clay and this comes on the heels of Nick complaining about all the clay court events that have continued past Wimbledon and why they exist mm-hmm. yeah I mean okay like okay I'm just gonna say one thing I I think that it's a shame that Nick is wasting all of his talent and putting and replacing it with just a big mouth. <laughs> because honestly, there, there's something in the water there down in Australia because Tomic is a complete loser, like an absolute buffoon. And Kyrgios has way more talent than Tomic. And it, it could be a slam winner. He's shown that time and time again. But, you know, it's his life. He prefers to be an entertainer, which is fine. Mm-hmm. We get that. We understand that lane. But, I mean, de Menard, it, like, he seems to be a guy that has his head on straight, wants to do well in tournaments, wants to go deep. Like, it's just a shame that Nick has to go down that route. But, I mean, he's entertaining. He sells tickets. He fills stadiums, right? Mm-hmm. So... What are you going to do? Well, hopefully he is prepared to fill some of those stadiums in Washington because he is the defending champion uh-huh, from right, two right. years ago yeah. where he beat a whole bunch of good players, including Tsitsi, um and a couple others. So 
you know, he's in comfortable ground. He's hanging around around with his buddies, Jack Sock, and some of these other guys that he really enjoys being around. So we'll see if that improves his vibe. He obviously loves the crowd there too. So he's going to some tournaments that he uh, enjoys and en- mm-hmm. enjoys ga- engaging with the fans. So hopefully he can, you know, regain some love and, and maybe get on the practice court a bit more and not pull abs midway through tournaments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's it, girl. That's the end of our Olympic. Holy crap. That was a lot. That's, that was a lot. Thanks for sticking with us through seven zero minutes. Yeah, exactly. And um, we're headed ourselves into the U.S. Hardcourt series. Yes. Next week is the start of our home tournament here it's sort of like a little mini slam Alduin Mm -hmm. and I are going to a couple of sessions at the National Bank Open here in Toronto and then I think you well I know you're going to Montreal but I think you said you're gonna try and go to a session there in Montreal yeah so I'm gonna go to Montreal for pride with a bunch of my girls my gay girls and uh, you know between tea dances and going to Renard on Saint Catherine we were thinking of maybe possibly dropping into a session and I said honestly as co-host of the Ready Play Tennis podcast it would be an absolute shame if I didn't pop in so I gotta go see the girls yeah we're gonna see the the girls and then the girls there you go I'm just gonna stay see the guys (laughs) <laughs> all right we'll see you next week well i guess maybe we'll do like a draw preview yeah for our home mini event slam and just keep your eyes glued on our instagram because we are gonna like record every second <laughs> of our experience shuttling ourselves from the entrance to the tunnel and not walking around yeah and ordering our Peronis from our chairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, using the little Lou or bidet at our seat because we cannot leave the seat either. Ew, that's disgusting. I know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to urinate on the person in front of me. No, I'm not. That's not Steamworks. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. We're here for your tennis-tainment or your tentertainment or whatever it is. But if you like what we're serving up, please give us a five-star review and like, share, and subscribe, and like such as. Wait, one more thing. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Ready Play Tennis Podcast.